All right, moving ahead to 1979, right? De December, oh what's that? It's an oh boy. Yeah. Well, December of 79 in particular was a time where if you, you know, if you read about it, you know, here in this book, Alive Forever, um, you know, they, they make no secret of the fact that things were not going well. In Kiss Land. In Kiss Land. And, and in fact, it mentions here, this is such a great book, um, that Peter did an interview, which was not a common occurrence. And he mentioned that things, oh yeah, here, in, actually in October, at, in Fort Worth, Texas, Peter did an interview where he mentioned that he had, he had plans to begin acting school in early 1980 and also admitted, quote, this has been a hard tour for us. Now, all three of you guys got to see them on this tour. Did any of you witness that that dynamic? On stage? No way. Not at no. all. It the only thing I noticed was a little speeding up and a little slowing down. But, I mean, you read these horror stories about, like, Peter just slowing down to a, you know, grinding down to a stop or kind of getting off the, the, the drum stool and walking off stage. Anyone see that stuff? No. No. I did see the most horrifying thing I've ever seen at a Kiss concert, though. What was it? S seeing a, 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 a demon go, doot, 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 when he was doing backup vocals <laughs> oh, from Tosca Turner. Ha! <laughs> I remember my uncle, who uh, took us to see that show, and, and, and he, had, he was a big Kiss supporter early on, and, and uh, he kind of got got away from it I'd say around the time of rock and roll over, but he, he made sure that he got us to the dynasty show and it was just another one of those great times. Thank you, uncle Gary. But, uh, <laughs> I remember him looking at us during that time and he just laughed and laughed and laughed and I got smaller in my seat and oh. smaller and smaller. <laughs> but it was a good song anyway. Uh, and in fact, here's something from the 1979 show they did in Fresno.
Bill. Yes. Founder of the Kiss Army. Yes, sir. What was 1979 like for you? I had started to kind of like distance myself from the band at that time because um, I was somewhat, I think, annoyed that um, my connections with the people who were running the Kiss Army were, I, I was just becoming more distance between the two of us. I was more annoyed with the fact that um, the, the band, the, the um, like I said, I was, I was, I can't, I don't even remember what, what, what shows of any I saw then because um, I had, um, like I said, had kind of had it out with Battle Enterprises and, um, and I had just wasn't getting the, the, um, attention that I got back in 76 with the band. So, um, you know, I, it was, it was a, um, difficult time because, um, cause you were still investing you know, yourself in it, right? I mean, you were still kind of taking the time to, to, to go to the shows and, and be a part well, of not as much, not really not as much because, um, you know, we had, um, they knew that I was upset over, over the kiss army, or at least how it was being handled. And, um, you know, so if I was going to get any tickets, then it was strictly on my own. So um, it was it was somewhat of a difficult period for me. Um, right. You know, it was um, like I said, I had uh, was Batwell was using me as like as a consultant, and um, I was in between jobs and stuff like that. And um, you're getting you're getting goofy advice from some of your friends saying, well, you know this and this and this should have happened or was promised to you and it didn't happen. So I guess you could say that my interest in the band to that degree had kind of waned. I mean, really it started like during the solo albums because uh, I really wasn't too fond of the solo albums. I thought um, that was just something that was done to divide the band in a way. I mean, because, you know, everybody, in some ways, everybody had their favorite solo album and, and nobody could ever agree on which one over the other. Even though the critics liked Aces over everybody else's, you know, well, you got to remember when that period of time for me was a, was uh, was almost a, a disinterested thing. Plus the fact that you know New Wave had finally come into the scene, you know, with with alternative music, and um, you know I was aware of the band, but I was also looking at other music too. So it was an exploration period for me. I was listening to stuff that I had never listened to before in 1975. So, <coughs> so it, I wasn't keeping up on the band. And plus, it was a time in the music industry when there was oh, just a whole plethora of stuff out there. And um, I'm really not even sure when Kiss played Tarot back in that time. Did, Joe, what so, about you? Joe, you saw them for the first time on that tour, is that right? Yeah, yeah. That was, uh, I think, maybe August um, in Nashville. And it's funny, I mean, you know, I was just, I was nine years old. I had no idea what was going on behind the scenes and really not even didn't have the perspective or the, or the critical faculties to know that, you know, I didn't know from disco or I just knew it was Kiss. So I went to that show and it was just so exciting and, and, you know, like a, you know, a high point of my, you know, young life, even to this day, just to see them in person was unbelievable you know i mean it's funny now to think back that you know a year later it was all up in the air and i didn't even think i didn't even know if i would ever if that band if i'd ever see that band live again i mean it was it was back at a time where you thought that that night that moment that was it that might be the pinnacle of your life and i was nine years old you know right right now see this but is what in my early days it, you to see a nine-year-old at a kiss show was really rare yeah. So, you know, that was about at that time when the band was starting to appeal to, you know, a different age group, too, which was also kind of a turnoff for me. Did you feel like you were on the, did it feel like you, like they had sold out or was it that, like something oh, that. I thought, they had, I thought they had sold out by the solo albums. I was, like I said, I was not real thrilled with, with that for some reason. I don't know. It, you got to remember from, from my inception of seeing the band till then. That's a huge departure and a huge change, but you know now that I look back on it, it's just like, you know, it's just like one of those transitions that happens. You know, it's just an exploration period. But you know, you got to remember, I went from 
18 to like I'm in my mid-20s, and like I said, I'm discovering different music too. So it isn't just Kiss. It's, you know, I'm listening to Bob Dylan for the first time. I'm listening to Johnny Cash. I'm like, you know, people that I probably would never would have listened to as a teenager. Right. Is all of a sudden I'm, you know, listening to in 1980, 79, 80, 81, that, that, and that time era. And this, is, and, this is, and this is right where I became a Kiss fan because I, rem I still remember yeah. going into the, um, like one of the bodegas uh, right where I grew up and seeing a newspaper cover talking about the new guy in Kiss, which was Eric Carr at the time, which was, uh -huh. you know. And see, and see, that's what makes this so cool is that we all have a different transition period where the band affected us, you right. know, and right. um, that doesn't make one person or another any better or any special than the other. Um, the cool thing is that they had an impression on you similar to what they had on me. It was just in a different time period. Right. And that's, what's, that's what's cool about it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, uh, and I have a friend who I, who's probably about your age who he was just a huge Eric Carr fan, and that's about when he started liking Kiss. So he, I don't think he even saw the makeup period. I don't think. Right. So. Well, I agree with all that except for one thing. I am better than Gary. That's right. Ah, that's Gary true. even agrees with I, that. I so. can't, I mean, I can't argue with that. So, you know, we just want to throw that out there. Uh, quick question, Bill. Do you ever get anybody pulling a Chris Farley with you? What do you mean by that? Remember that time when you started the Kiss Army, man? What was that like? You, you ever get guys, like, totally geeking out at you? you know? I think well, just, yeah, but you know what? I, that doesn't bother me. The, the thing that, that I, I, I'm kinda, I correct people on is the people that come up to you and say, you changed my life. But no, I didn't change your life at all, you know. Kiss may have changed your life or something, but you know, I, I you know really don't know how how to you know react when when guys see that kind of stuff. I mean, you can't really ever truly freak me out in, in that regard. I mean, everybody's got a different era and and a different thing, you know. And I truly appreciate any kind of attention I get. I mean, if you can't sign an autograph or stand and talk to somebody for a few minutes, then you probably don't deserve any credit for anything so i'm you know quite humbled by any kind of accolades i get so see this is where you know, just don't just just don't come to me and ask me uh if i wheel and deal and kiss merchandise because that i <laughs> that that's a big turnoff to me see this is where the if there was a comedy sketch this is where like uh we would see Bill like r rushing into a burning building and saving uh, like a, a, a family from a fire, and they'd be like, "You saved us," and you'd say, "No, I had nothing to do. Kiss saved you. It wasn't. It wasn't me." Well, and, 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 she, and you know, you die laughing, but I've got these um, seven, eight, nine-year-old kids that I'm teaching in my class, and and all of a sudden they're getting into the Kiss stuff, and I had to laugh though because the other day one of the kids didn't believe me, and I just real quickly went online and did a Google thing and pulled something up. Well, the kid was so fascinated, they went back and told someone at home about their teacher, Mr. Starkey. But, you know, the funny thing is, you know who their person at home was? Their grandmother. Wow. <laughs> so <laughs> well, I, I, mean, I told my grandmother that you started the KISS Army, and we, we talked all about it and everything. And I said, yeah, that's cool, I guess. Because <laughs> I guess I could be somebody's grandfather. So Right. It's a big deal that, you know, what, what, what you did, Bill, in, in this basic sense. I mean, you know, this, that's whole, part of the whole thing about being a KISS fan that a lot of people went through is that, you know, you sometimes you feel alienated, like, oh, man, I like KISS and nobody else does. And you really right. felt But knowing that there was this, you know, KISS army, this sort of right. fan nation out there somewhere, it really was, you know life preserver that me and like the few you know one or two friends that i had we all like kids we we got a lot of reassurance that that was kind of out there so it's it was a big deal what you did yeah i, I i'm finding that out because you know i really wasn't aware of it but it seems like even though we're all different generations of kiss and all that everybody i talk i mean i was fortunate to talk to ken sharp the other night and uh, ken was talking to me about you know all the hell he went through to be as a kiss fan and his was, was different than what I went through. And yours was different than... It, it seems like that's the funny thing about this is that everybody had a period in their life when they they were a KISS fan, and it, they thought that, that it, I guess, by their peers, it wasn't a cool thing. 
And um, that's kind of neat because it crosses over through several generations. But you know what? I, I still get it today. I still have some friends that um, they're friends, but, but they kind of roll their eyes when they know that I'm going to a kid's show or whatever or that I'm doing an interview. And, um, you know, they're still not convinced. And that's fine, you know, because it just makes it even more exciting the next tour, the next album, or, you know, the next recognition the band gets. Oh, it's still going on. I, I, uh, I love my coworkers and I love my, my job. Um, and I won't say, but I'll say, and, uh, I, I brought a bunch of people with me to see kiss in 2009 and I, I was all excited and I figured at the very least the kind of kitsch camp nostalgia, you know, whatever, there's different levels you can, you know, for us, it's like a, a love thing, but for other people, it can be sort of like a, Oh, that's cute. Um, and, and I, I recorded some stuff, you know, I was like, all right, before the show, I want to get you guys feedback. None of them had ever seen Kiss before. And then after the show, I recorded them. I've never played it on this podcast, and I don't think I ever will. <laughs> really? Yeah, no, for sure. Because it, are... it is fun to take new people to see Kiss. I think that's more fun than taking diehards. Um, and most, I'd say 99.9% of the time, I, I create new kids fans because I usually take the right people. I take people who who I kind of kind of quiz beforehand that you know right. this is what's going to happen, this is what's not going to happen. You're not going with me to meet Gene Simmons. That's not going to happen unless you pay the meet and greet fee. We are going to be backstage. We may have good seats, but that's it. Are we going to have a good time? And that's it. You know, and and most of the time those people are are now have now become kids fans for life, which is really what you want to do i don't i don't want to take anybody whose heart isn't into it you know right it is about who you bring yeah i got a question for i got a question for bill hill real quick i just i just thought i was just curious bill when they did the reunion tour in in 96 and this you know this explosion of of sort of media spotlight on the band were you caught up in that as part of that sort of pr whirlwind is like oh and here's the guy who started the kiss army were there media outlets coming to you at, during that specific period to sort of get uh, your take uh, on things or no no there really wasn't because um mike brandbold who was a good friend of mine who was running kiss online i believe back then uh he always kind of warned me with this new age of the internet and all that to pretty much keep a low profile and keep you know my email secret and stuff like that because otherwise i would be bombarded by people and I wouldn't have the time or the the energy to keep up with the, the, the fan demand, and I, I that that kind of scared me. So I, 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 I made appearances at expos and stuff like that, but um, no, I didn't get any major, major stuff. You know, um, just the local things that were around here and all that. Because like I said, the the internet stuff was kind of new. But when Mike made that, gave me what I thought was pretty decent advice. I kind of stuck with it. I thought, well, you know. I'm not going to go out there and just all of a sudden, you know, because I, fans did used to contact me in the in the 80s all the time. As a matter of fact, um, the book you talked about that Kurt Gooch wrote, Kurt, Kurt used to call me constantly. As a matter of fact, that's where he got most of the stuff in that book was just through late-night conversations and he and I had had. You know, I would talk about certain kids shows I'd went to or, I, you know, and itinerary stuff and all that. And I'm proud to say a lot of that, you know, is included in Kurt's book because, yeah. you know, Kurt was calling me in the 80s when most people didn't even give a, give a damn darn about the band, but he was doing it just from what, as a fan standpoint. So he would call, we would talk all night about Kiss, and he'd ask me about this person and that person, and I think he eventually used my my uh, information to help contact other interviewers and things like that, and it turned out a pretty good book. Great book. I, I want to say uh, that one of the things, you know, just to go back for a second, one of the things that... Uh, uh, that everyone I, I brought in 2009, everyone I brought to the show, uh, one of the things they did appreciate and, and did say that was really positive um, was that they liked the fact that it was a band where everybody had a song or, you know, everybody sang, everybody had had uh, right. moments in the spotlight. Of course, you know, not not being Kiss fans themselves, they all expected that it was the Gene Simmons show. And, and of course, it's it's really not like that. Um, but, oh, no. but one thing I want to play in, in the spirit of that, you know, the fact that it is a, a four guy band um, is to go back to December 3rd, 1980 to Auckland, New Zealand to a tour that none of us saw, um, which is the Unmasked tour. And in fact, this was, I believe, the last uh, concert to feature Ace Fraley before the reunion. And this is New York Groove. 
so after the after the unmasked album came out and that tour uh did its thing um you know there was that kind of hiatus like like bill like you were talking about with um you know, releasing the elder and then sort of going into hiding, like, oh, we can't, you know, we can't possibly play this live, and we don't dare. Right. Um, and then Creatures comes out, and it's a revelation. I mean, I think, um, you know, the the pros and cons are are things we've talked about a lot on this show. You know, the pro is that it was just an incredible album, heavy stage show, phenomenal uh, uh, lineup and sound. The con being just the, the fact that popularity wise, it was. Uh, it was it wasn't a high moment in history. Bill, did you see them on that tour? Uh, no, I didn't. Okay, and jo- Joe, you saw them, is that right? I didn't see them on that tour either. It's the only tour that I've missed in my lifetime. Wow! Wow! All right. You know, since I went, since I started seeing them, I just felt like I just I don't know. I'd I'd known that Ace was out, and I kind of just felt like I was out too. You know? Yeah. Right on, Ken. Twenty five percent. That's me. Right on. And you, concert. you said it was amazing. Yeah, and it was colder than, well, hell's not cold, so uh, colder than the North Pole, keeping it with a Christmas theme. But yeah, it was it was an excellent concert. It was cold as heck, and uh, I remember the religious protesters being there. And uh, yes, because that's about and, when that started. Yes. Yeah, it was. It was very bizarre. We didn't have any. We didn't have any of that in the in my in my seventies, and and uh, which was kind of neat. Yeah, because. That was back when they were really doing some strange stuff with the backward masking and oh, strange period in an American culture too. I ran yeah, into that in, in of all places. I ran into that in Oakland in last year, and and we played some of that on the show. Um, but I mean, what a weird thing to have in, in Oakland, California. You know, just, just you don't expect that in two thousand nine in the Bay Area. You know, kind of a weird thing. But yeah, that that. Creatures tour was, uh, you know, if I could go back and see a Kiss concert, I, I think I might have to start there. And we've got December 31st, New Year's Eve, uh, 1982, in Rockford, Illinois, and we're going to play Rock and Roll Hell, which is not something that you hear every day. And this is a live recording of Rock and Roll Hell. Not the greatest quality, but worth giving a listen. Been on to five, six, ten. That is horrible quality. Right, okay. <laughs> Gary, who Gary who, who me. Gary Gary, who sings that song originally? Well it's Gene Simmons. Well let's keep it that way. Okay. Um, all right.
something we didn't talk about was on December 31st of 75 is when Kiss flew me to New York, and I was able to go to the uh, Hempstead New York show with them and Blue Oyster Cult and Leslie West, and that was kind of cool. That was my first visit to New York, my first uh, plane flight, my first limo ride. That was a cool December show for me. And I would give a lot to see BOC and Kiss on the same bill. I love I love. Oh, that, that was funny because I remember BOC um, was mad at the fact that they were being, you know, the opening act when just two years ago it was the reversal, and supposedly they trashed the uh, dressing rooms pretty good from from what from what some of the people told me that were there. Did they really? Yes, tore it wow. up big time. Yeah, they they uh, weren't real thrilled because right there was, I think that where that show was at in Long Island, I think that was where they were from, weren't they? I mean... Yeah, they, they met so, they met out at Stony Brook, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, um, they were actually at home, but yet they were opening for KISS. And, you know, you talk about stage, so then, guys, KISS had these really weird tracer lights that well, were all the way around the uh, stage. Right. And they were like Hollywood lights, but they didn't trace very well. And then at the New Year's, of course, KISS released these KISS balloons. Nice. And then later the night, um, I went to the Rock and Roll Pool Party, which if you see on my Facebook page, I have the um, invite in there. It's a real cool black and silver. And the crazy thing didn't start till 2 in the morning. So trust me, I wasn't prepared to stay up. Now, did Blue Oyster Cult show up at the Rock and Roll Pool Party? Oh, God, no. They weren't even, they were, like I said, they weren't real happy about the whole situation at all. The cool thing about the rock and roll pool party was Paul actually got in a bathing suit and went out there in the water. And um, I don't know where Ace and Peter were. And Gene sat at my table in head-to-toe leather with this real gorgeous little Asian girl. And I'll never forget when we were sitting there, and I was with Jim Neff, the Cadillac football guy, and um, Gene was pontificating about the world and everything. And and eventually he said, oh, by the way, he asked me who I was. And I told him I was the Kiss Army guy. I could have just crawled under the table oh. because I was under the impression then, which you learn never to think stuff like that, that he knew who I was or he'd remembered Terre Haute. But so many things had happened between you know, November and January and December then that you know that stuff happens. Right. Yes, but you weren't a blonde with a you know that he had a well. That, proposition and that had ninety nine percent of it to do with it too. Right. The fact that I, I mean, because Gene was just something else back then, so. Yeah, I wasn't some hot babe, so you know why? Why should he remember me? Come on, right? As a matter, I, of, I, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have remembered me. Come on. As a matter of fact, uh, I've discussed this on the show a little bit, but I'll just tell you, Bill. Uh, the first time I met Eric Carr and Bruce Kulick was backstage at the Animal Eye show, and it was really strange because when they came through, there was this buffet of food and there was this buffet of women. Uh huh. Gene and Paul come through. They don't look at any of us. There, they go right towards the girls. I'm. They didn't. Yeah, yeah. You know, they didn't which, get the grapes which, or anything. They went right to the girls, and they were gone. Yep. Bruce, I didn't even know who Bruce was. Hardly, you know, it's like on stage. He went, "Oh, by the way, this is Bruce." And I'm like, "Bruce, what happened to Mark St. John?" You know, and uh, ah. and and Eric Carr was the one who actually said, "Hey, I'm glad you guys came out, and you know, yeah, he's, it, he's been that, a few that, minutes with us." And, that's what I've always heard about him, too. Everybody I've talked to, I've never had the pleasure of meeting him, but everybody says that about Eric Carr. It's amazing. I wish I could have met him, and I wish I could have seen him live. Yeah. Never got the chance. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, those were the records that were coming out when when I was a kid growing up as a Kiss fan. It was, you know, those were the records that I bought as they hit the shelves was Creatures and Look It Up and Animal Eyes and... Um, and asylum and all of that stuff and what a you know what a great time. Yeah. And Joe, you 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 were going to say something. Uh, you know, you well, used to. Well, just the December '85. What I remember about that is that was right at the height of sort of Kiss's relationship with MTV. Ah. And I just remember seeing Paul Stanley doing the guest VJ thing. And he was wearing like a Santa outfit type of thing. With three or four L's around him, and he was riding a little car at one point, I remember. That's yeah, right. and he also did it, he also, uh, had the, yeah, they had a bunch of gifts in the studio that he was sort of saying, here's a little toy this, and here's that, and they had uh, a sort of a one-man water scooter thing. Mm-hmm. And I remember huh. he met 
he made like a Simon LeBond joke. He said, oh, you know, I don't know if you'll need this unless your name is Simon LeBond because they just had that that thing where Simon LeBond had capsized his boat. Yeah. Right. And, uh, so talk about a, you know. Didn't he also like pull out the Vinnie Vincent album and go like, hey, how'd that get in there? And he'd like throw it over his shoulder or something like that. Maybe he did. No, I, I think that wasn't that. I think that was Gene. I, I, I'm pretty sure. I mean, maybe it happened twice, but I. Oh, maybe no, no. You know what? Maybe it was Paul. Maybe yeah. I think it was Paul. I, I, that's that's good, Ken. I'd forgotten about that. Oh, man. Oh, brutal. You know, I, 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 I'm tempted to get into this. I don't know how much we want to get into this right now, but you know, I, I loved that era, and I watched that stuff, and I have it on video, and and it's great nostalgic fun. But this is what pisses me off is when you get these, this whole narrative about, you know, Gene wasn't in Kiss and his heart wasn't into it. And yeah, that's probably true in a lot of ways. And yeah, I'm a big Gene defender, whatever. Me but, too. But, but I'll tell you, oh, you too, Bill. Oh, definitely. I'm a big Gene defender. I, I hear that all the time that I'm a Gene defender or somebody will say, well, I'm a, I'm a Paul guy and you're a Gene guy. Well, whatever. I mean... I used to never paint up for, for for people used to wonder about that, but I but I was pretty serious about it. I never painted up as any one guy in the band because I always felt that being the commander in chief guy that would that I that shouldn't show allegiance. Right. But yes, I I'm a Gene defender and I still defend Gene. I don't care if it's his NPR interview or whatever what he does. I always defend Gene and always will defend Gene because I um I, I don't know. I, I think that I know him pretty well. I mean, at, at least you know I I think I do. So, uh, you know, I tell people that, you know, what you see on TV and all that is, you know, whether it be the wrestling thing or, you know, I'm the best and the baddest and the richest or whatever, it's all for show. Right. You know, I mean. Now, I mean, see, I, I agree. I'll be the first one. I mean, I have no I have no qualms about saying, like, I disagree with Gene on a lot of things. Like, I, I, like, I don't think prostitution is cool. I am married, and I think marriage is pretty neat. I, like, I'm good friends with my oh, wife. Yeah. I love her. It's it's a it's a you know good partnership, and you know so I disagree with him on a lot of things. But the the right. one the one place where I feel like it always just goes south and it gets stupid is the whole you know that period during the 1980s when they were glitzy and glammy and and Paul took center stage and you know Gene wasn't in Kiss or his heart wasn't in Kiss. And when I look back on on Paul Stanley, you know bopping around on MTV with a Santa hat on making you know, making Duran Duran jokes or whatever, I think, man, that's not, you know, the only reason that that is Kiss is because it was done with the Kiss under the kind of auspices of promoting Kiss, but it's no more Kiss or less Kiss than Gene being, you know, a villain in a in a science fiction movie. You know, I mean... Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I, I can... You know, it, it, it seems like a... Um, I, I don't know. Maybe that's a discussion for another time. I don't know. What, what, what do you think, Joe? I think you're probably right. I mean, it, he, he <clears throat> what's, you know, what's the difference between Paul Stanley being a guest VJ on MTV, which he did several times, and, or Gene having a reality TV show? I mean, there's not a lot of difference, really. Right. Well, one was scripted and the other one is scripted. Hey, now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I think that some, they're finding out now that having the reality show has not been... An, you know, detrimental to the band at all. Oh, no. been... if, if anything, it's been incredibly helpful to the band. Oh, uh, yeah. Earlier... Yeah, because... Oh, go on, Bill. Yeah, I agree. I think you're right. It has been. Earlier, I, I said I want to make two points, and you, you big mouths uh, stopped me before I could get to this one. <laughs> uh, we were talking about, you know, the album being a success and so on and so forth. Um, there's this strange little thing that keeps popping up in my head every so often that I, in some ways, feel that Kiss is bigger now than they ever have been. Sure, they may not be selling as many Kiss trash cans as they did in 1978 when they were the number one band or so on and so forth. But the, the thing of it is is that you have Gene in our living rooms every Sunday night now. They're on every sporting event through Dr. Pepper. And whereas you, even when Kiss was at their quote-unquote biggest, they were not as accepted in the mass consciousness like they are now. But see, I, I don't know. I, I can agree with that. I really think that's a pretty profound statement. I think I can agree with that. You know, they may, they may be, because I've, I've thought about that myself, thinking, you know, because I get this question all the time, do you think it would have ever been like this 35 years, blah, 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 I'm thinking, 
well, you know, maybe maybe this is better than it's ever been. You know, but 1977 and 78, when you only had three television stations and you didn't have all the media outlets, right? You, you got to realize Kiss was pretty much it was. They were pretty much it. I mean, there wasn't there really wasn't anybody else out there carrying the rock and roll torch, so to say, is, is, other than them guys. So I don't know. It's like I said, 77 and 78 were pretty. They were pretty much dominant everywhere because they're you. We, they don't. You don't have the media outlets that you've got nowadays. So, and, and but it seemed like Kiss was everywhere back then. I mean, that was going to be my my point. Is just that, like, I, I um, you know, I, I think Ken, you've got to. I mean, you're right in a sense that, like, they're they're everywhere, and and you know, you can't escape them. But I feel like that's true with everything. I mean, everything is so huge now. What's not big? You know, thanks to the internet, and you know, I mean, your band. Well, well, that's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You I actually pull. think that Kiss Ouch. is big. Kiss is as big now as people think they were in you know seventy seven, seventy eight. You know, I mean, they've sort of fulfilled their own legend in a way. Because even in that in that uh, that book uh, about the tours, it talks about that period in seventy seven, seventy eight, where the the impression that people got was that Kiss were huge and they were selling tens of millions of records and they sold out stadiums every night and and as it says in that book they were never that band they were never that big right and those record but sales they, were never those record sales no well you know that's that's a possibility i mean um uh but you got to remember that the, the solo albums didn't do as well as right i think they well i don't know i do know this but they printed more solo albums than they sold of them Right. Because at yeah. one time I was actually contacted. This is not like I've ever told this story before. I have a in my collection. I was contacted by uh, I think Polydor at the time because there was a dispute over royalties over the solo albums and how the solo albums were being used as as uh, cutouts. And um, Polydor contacted me. I don't know where they found me in Terre Haute and wanted me to be interviewed as a witness as being a KISS fan as to uh, what I thought of the band currently at the time and all that, because I, they were going to, they actually wanted me to testify. And I was like, you know, I, I, I'm not sure I want to do something like this. I mean, you know, I'm going to have to go to Atlanta or somewhere like that. Well, eventually I lucked out and I guess the two sides settled out of court somehow. But wow. um, yeah, Polydor called me and it was about a, and I kept the paperwork because, I, again, I just said it was part of history, you know, where they contacted me and wanted me to testify on behalf of being a KISS fan as, as to the KISS's relevance. And what, what they were trying to prove was that, that people didn't like the band anymore or they weren't as devoted to them, and they, they wanted me to um, – they wanted an interview. And I was, wow. they were pretty serious about it. I've never heard of a fan character with before. Yeah. <laughs> How do you think I felt? I mean, and, and you know, uh, like I said, I kept the stationery and the paperwork for it because it's, to this day, I still think it's one of the crazier stories. Well, that, uh, I mean, how do you swear someone in like that? I mean, do you, do you, do you solemnly order swear? in the court. Right. Well, they were going to testify that I was this. the creator of the KISS Army, the KISS fan club, and that was what they were going to use as, um, as a, uh, you know, as my background. And then they were going to say, well, Bill, what did you think of the solo albums and all that? And they're saying because of this testimony, that's why we think that. Oh man! You know, we don't uh, we don't owe Kiss money on the. Uh, it had something to do with the cutouts of um, uh, of the solo albums being cutouts wow. and uh, the, the craziest. I mean, this was like 1981, maybe they were still. I guess the band was under Polydor, and um, they were disputing royalties because the the solo albums were in the cutout bins, which wow. back in those days, it's like the Kmart all that, you could get them for like 2 or $3, which was a lot less than the 8 or $9 that you get for a regular album. But they settled, and I didn't have to deal with it. So, But I kept the letter just, just for the sake of it. <laughs> no, see, that's, that's very cool. Know. Now will have you ever been a KISS fan. Right. Yes. <laughs> Wow. Now, how, how many of you saw them on the Asylum tour? I did. Oh, I did. I didn't. I saved a seat for you, Bill. Well, you know what? I 
I mean, if this is confession, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I didn't, you know. True confession time. That's right. I saw them on the. They were. Oh. It was probably like the third day of the tour, so I saw them on the first stage. This nice. Lady with their faces on the on the floor and the whole bit, and the curtain mm-hmm. caught fire. It was great. Power went out. It was awesome. <laughs> Well, here's a cool rarity. This is King of the Mountain. Not the greatest sound quality, but still worth listening to. And it's New Haven, Connecticut, December 21st, 1985. Merry Christmas, everybody. Here's King of the Mountain.
member of the original Kiss Road crew, wishing you a happy holiday and Merry Christmas. <laughs> 